Hello and welcome to the Peter the Water Dog Saves the Planet Peace podcast. In the next few episodes, I will share audio chapters of book one of the Peter the Water Dog Saves the Planet book series titled One More Year. I hope you enjoy this story with a message to keep your stuff longer, even if it's just one more year, and in doing so, buy less stuff. Please enjoy chapters six through ten of One More Year. Pedro the Water Dog Saves the Planet, Primer 1. Chapter 6. Fewerware 2017 Recycled Firehose Messenger Bag With classical music playing through its headsets, a small seaplane flies over several tiny islands in Lake Bijeunesse. Jimmy, a stocky red-haired pilot in his 30s, and Bill, in his 60s, a portly man with a well-groomed salt-and-pepper beard, talk over the music. That's it, Jimmy. Yes, I know, sir, but thank you, he says respectfully with a slight southern drawl. The plane lands on the water and docks. Roxy races down the path from the cottage and out onto the dock to greet the aircraft. Bill, dressed in a white polo shirt, blue and white seersucker pants, white bucks, a Panama hat, and sunglasses, steps out of the plane and grabs a messenger bag made from recycled fire hose from behind the cockpit. Thanks, Jimmy. I should only be a couple of hours. No beer until we're back home. Yes, sir. Bill answers his cell phone. I know, I know. What am I doing here? Because if I don't come see you, I'll never see you. That's why. Don't go hide in the wilderness. I'll be right there, so you might as well get started fixing me lunch. Bill makes it to the top of the path, panting heavily. When are you going to put a gondola on that godforsaken hill? Come on in, you fat old son of a badger, Graham says with a smile as he embraces him in a firm hug. I don't have much, but I'll throw something together. The patio table overlooking the lake is filled with colorful vegetables, cheeses, a couple of salads, crusty bread, olive oil in a vintage Italian dispenser, and a bottle of red wine. Not too shabby for throwing something together. It looks like you were expecting me. Graham laughs. The two eat and drink for several minutes in silence. After a bit of wine, Bill blurts, Graham, what in the world are you doing here? You're in the middle of nowhere with no human interaction. Who needs humans when I have Roxy? Graham pets Roxy and she licks his hand. Seriously, I'm worried about you. You worried? How could a man with more money than God and a beautiful wife have a worry in the world? By the way, I do get some human interaction. Why, just yesterday I was visited by a young woman and her dog. Did you speak with her or just shoot cannonballs at her boat? Very funny. No cannonballs. We spoke. Bill sees Graham's trainer. Are you training? Why would I train? Graham says with a pained face. Because you love it? That was a past life, he says sternly. Graham looks away. I told your mother I'd look out for you when she passed away. Graham continues eating without a response. I don't want to spoil this beautiful lunch. Let's change the subject. How about Edmonton taking the cup this year? Those bastards, Graham says dryly. Chapter 7. Marin Palisades Trail, 1993 Mountain Bike Ike arrives at an old dock nestled in a wooded area with a beautiful emerald bay 
and a scattering of tent campers. He ties up the boat, then pops his head into the cabin. Stay put, Swart. Shred any trespassers, Tiger. He unties an old mountain bike from the boat and lifts it out onto the dock. He steps off the boat, flips a wood sign around from, No, I'm not friendly, on one side, to, If you step on my boat, my guard cat will attack you. He puts his leg over the bike and lets out an old man groan. Shit, I'm too old for this. Ike rides briskly down the trail, rusty at first, but as he goes up and then down a small hill, he feels muscles loosen, tendons relax, and he smiles joyfully. He sees a small stream ahead with a human-made jump just in front of it. He contemplates his options, gains speed, and jumps the stream, landing smoothly on the other side. Whoop, I've still got it, he yells loudly into the quiet forest. Ike continues on the trail through the woods and comes upon a simple log cabin. Frida, a pretty older woman with deep-set wrinkles on her face and long gray hair, stands outside. Ike, is that you? Frida calls as he rides up. She gives him a strong hug. Frida, you look radiant as usual. Oh, Ike, you're such a charmer. How suerte. Same old, same old, near-death experiences daily. Frida chuckles. You looking for bear? Yeah, he around? I have a question about some logging nearby. He's fishing, but he promised to be back by lunch. Let me make you a coffee. Can you stay to have lunch with us? Of course. Frida goes into the cottage to start lunch. Ike sits his tired body down on an old porch swing outside, watching for bear. Chapter 8. Dario Pigaretti-built, 1994, Pinarello road bike. Roxy stands next to Graham's bed, lays her chin down on the edge of the mattress, and watches him sleep. The sun rises a bit higher, and the light streams into the austere room furnished with quality bedding on a turn-of-the-century wooden bed frame, a nightstand, and a dresser. A vintage cycling photo hangs on the wall of Gino Bartali with some other cyclists circa 1930s Tour de France. Roxy walks into the closet and drags an old duffel bag out onto the floor. She whimpers a bit, then lets out a bark. Graham rolls over as she jumps onto the bed. You just can't let me sleep, can you? He says as he grabs her to scratch her neck. Graham gets out of bed, a bit groggy, and trips on the bag. Frustrated and confused, he raises his voice. Damn it, Roxy. His sleepy eyes focus in to see the bag. What's this girl? He says more calmly. He unzips the bag and pulls out a cycling shoe. Silly dog. Graham walks into the kitchen, puts the shoe on the counter, and starts to make coffee. Roxy pulls the other shoe out of the bag and brings it to him, bumping it onto his hand. Graham shakes his head, then looks outside. Well, maybe just today. Graham walks out in his boxer shorts to the corrugated metal shed behind the cottage. He sits down on the stairs and puts on his cycling shoes. He takes a 1990s-era road bike out of the shed, grabs a bike pump, and inflates the tires. There are somehow no holes. That's a small miracle. He walks the bike over to the metal frame contraption that Tilly had asked him about, puts the bike on top of it, and gets on. Graham clips on and begins spinning, riding in place on the trainer. He lets out a loud groan speaking in the distinct languages of Italian and age as his past injuries scream to make themselves known. He pushes through and continues to spin. Roxy barks excitedly. 
Graham smiles at her. Well, aren't you just so proud of yourself? Graham rides for several minutes, then slows down. The past encroaches on his mind, putting his feet on the bicycle pedals into thick mud. Pained more and more by his thoughts than tight muscles and the metal pins that hold some parts of him together, he spins slower and slower. Roxy barks again, then again. Graham suddenly revives, lifting his head to look out over the lake. He pedals faster and faster, then gets up out of the saddle to stand on the pedals, spinning faster and harder now. Roxy keeps a close watch. Finally, exhausted, he slows and then comes to a stop. Sweat drips from his body and face. Graham stumbles off the trainer. He lifts the bike off and walks slowly to put it back in the shed. Roxy licks at his perspiring legs. He turns and Roxy follows him to the house. Graham rests the bike outside the front door on the porch. He leans down and pets Roxy. Good girl. Chapter 9 Birmingham Stove and Range, 1967, Cast Iron Dutch Oven Number 7. Down the shadowed forest trail, a silhouette of a large figure approaches the log cabin. Bear, 6'5, looks bigger than a linebacker as he emerges from the trees into the sunlight. He has long black hair and wears old jeans, boots, and a well worn flannel shirt with rolled up sleeves. Black ink covers his forearms in an art culture blend of Day of the Dead to Native American to Samoan. His large horse carries his fishing bag, pole, and a bundle of freshly caught trout. Bear smiles broadly when he sees Ike, his 67 years not showing in the sparkle of his brown eyes or smooth skin. Ike, my friend. Bear gives Ike an enthusiastic hug, lifting him off the ground. He sets him down and bends over to look at him closely, six inches from his face. You look a little serious. I came to ask you for help. Frida comes out of the cabin with a tray of huckleberries, fresh bread, and goat cheese from the neighboring farm. Bear, give me that fish, please. I'll cook some up on the fire. She hands the tray to Ike, and here's some things to start on. Oh, my favorite mustard. Thank you, Frida. You are queen of queens, Ike says, taking the tray from her hands. Frida rushes off to prepare more mountain and stream delicacies. Bear and Ike sit and eat a few bites quietly. Bear towers over Ike, even when seated. What do you need? You know I'll do whatever you ask. Tilly saw a logging truck coming out of Blue Lightning Road. Wasn't far from the sacred grounds. She was nervous to check it out herself, which is unusual for Tilly. She's not afraid of much, but those bastards can be mean, you know. Oh, Tilly, how is she? Bear says gently. She's great, swimming and running with that hairy black dog all the time. I'll ride over there tomorrow and let you know what I see. Thanks, buddy. Ike stands up and gives Bear another hug. When are you going to get rid of that boat and come live up here with us? You know I can't live on land. Frida walks up with a platter of beautifully barbecued trout and sautéed white morel mushrooms. Here's your catch. Frida sits, bows her head, and closes her eyes. Bear and Ike do the same. She blesses the food in her ancestors' language and adds, I see that in this simple manner the Great Spirit takes care of us. She opens her eyes and smiles. Did you solve the world's problems yet? Almost, Ike says. We just have one or two left. Like, when are you going to leave this giant lug and come live on the boat with me? They laugh and continue their soul feast under the canopy of tall trees.
Chapter 10. Cost 1975 Easy Listener Denim Stereophone Headphones. A mountain montage reveals an old love rediscovered as spring gives way to summer. Outcrops of tall bear grass bloom and huckleberry bushes hide nibbling bear cubs. The Roxy accepts her master's girth. She hopes his dog walking pace will improve. She barks impatiently at the foot of Graham's bed. Graham opens his eyes, shakes his head at Roxy, pulls on an ancient pair of college shorts and threadbare t-shirt, fixes a coffee, and walks out slowly to the trainer to ride. Across the lake, Tilly pulls Pedro proudly holding a baton in his mouth on the paddleboard. She stops, takes it from him, and throws it. Pedro leaps off the board into the clear water to retrieve it. A colorful crew of skilled mountain bikers, Josh, Cutter, Joe, and Reeve, affectionately called the Bike Guys, race down a winding, bermed mountain bike trail. They joke and laugh as they pass Tilly and Camus running up the trail past them. The guys say, hey, and give friendly nods. Josh shouts, nice old school headphones, Camus. As the sun struggles to peek over the horizon, Roxy jumps onto Graham's bed with a cycling shoe in her mouth. With one eye open, Graham lets out a dog growl. Roxy's eyebrows lift. He smiles at Roxy, gets out of bed with a spring in his step, makes a quick cup of coffee, and heads out the door in shorts and a 15-year-old local Latera 22 pub t-shirt. He grabs his bike, gets on the trainer, and energetically rides in place. Tilly and Pedro pass a warning sign for grizzly bears as they run along the wooded trail. They reach a waterfall overlook and peer out over the majestic view below. Pedro barks loudly at a moose standing in the midst of the falls. The bike guys race down a twisty lakeside trail, each of them standing on their pedals and deeply in tune with every rock and twig beneath their tires. When they reach the water, they pull foam floats out of their backpacks and tie them to their bikes. Taking turns, they ride down the bank and launch themselves from a wooden ramp out over the water. They each push their bike away in the air before pulling various dramatic gymnastic poses and comedic displays, splashing down and swimming back to shore, bike in tow. The next morning, Roxy comes to Graham's side of the bed with a black garment in her mouth. She drops it on the comforter and looks Graham's face. Graham wakes this morning without frustration. What have you found now, Roxy girl? He holds it up and sees their cycling shorts. He pulls at them and notices threadbare areas in a hole. These have seen better days, haven't they, girl? Roxy barks. Yes, and so have I, Graham laughs. Graham puts on the shorts, goes outside, and climbs on his trainer. Roxy stands close by. Graham cycles at a vigorous pace. With music pumping on his headphones, not at all winded, he looks out over the lake and smiles. To be continued. Podcast music is Dalai Lama Riding a Bike by Javier Peque Rodriguez. A link to his music on Spotify and Bandcamp are in the show notes. Support messages of peace in the planet by joining my Patreon for as little as a cup of coffee per month at patreon.com. Just search Avis Kalfsbeck or Pedro the Water Dog to find me. Pedro the Water Dog Saves the Planet books 1 through 5 are available at all your favorite online bookstores or at avaskalfspec.com. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts.
Thank you again. Listen for the peace. Thank you.